The scripture for today's sermon comes from Matthew 7, 24 through 27. The word of God speaks to us. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. This is God's word to us. Thanks, Kristen. Morning, friends. Hey, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, it's so good to be together. Hey, uh, I know it's kind of taboo to say this seven days after the new year, but happy New Year's, everybody. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll jump in. God, thank you for thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for the gift of your spirit. Thank you for the gift that this church is to us, community is to us. We, we ask God that um, as, we, as we just seek to open your word and see what you have to, to say to us today, that, that you would open our hearts, open our, our ears, uh, places where we may have a tendency over the next 30 minutes or so to plug our ears and, and plug up places we don't want you to get into. God, would you, uh, would you work against that and would you do something really profound in us? We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, it is a new year, and, uh, and many of us have found ourselves kind of reminiscing uh, over the, the last year of our lives. We just do this, right? It's, it's kind of natural. The end of the year comes, and you, no, one, no one prompts you to do it. You just start thinking about all the things that have happened uh, over the last year. And so many of us might have some like really fond memories from 2023. Uh, you might also have some memories from 2023 that you want to erase completely, uh, from your memory for the rest of your life. If you could just forget them, it would be great altogether. And you know, as the calendar rolls over into a new year, we have a tendency to take all those things combined and begin to, if not formally, informally, uh, start to think of how we want to improve our lives uh, for the better in the new year. You can call it a resolution, you can call it just a change, uh, you, can, you can call it a plan, call it what you like, but if we're all being honest, we've, we've spent a little bit of thought at least, if not formally but informally, kind of thinking in this way over the last week or so. And, uh, you know, many of us begin to form these thoughts not around how well the last year of our lives went. If we're being honest, a lot of times we start to form resolutions or change we want to see in our lives based off of areas that maybe didn't go so great in the last year. Um, you don't have like this really killer, awesome, everything was perfect year and then sit down and make a list of all the things that you wish were better and that you want to spend time improving upon. It normally is, not to be cynical, it really normally is just a, it, it spurs out of things that, that have happened to us, things we've endured um, over a period of time. And as a pastor in this church, uh, I feel the same way for myself, but I also feel a burden for our church um, as I've walked intimately with many of you over the last 12 months to, to as you've gone through things, as you struggled, to, to see us become people who are more and more, as, as the days go on and the years go on, be marked by uh, the Word of God, formed by the Word of God, and people who are actively doing what the Word has to say. You know, in the, in the chapters preceding our text today, Jesus has just finished covering all kinds of topics and answering questions 
that we have actually been asking actively for a while. This is, Matthew chapter 7 is the end of what is famously known as the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and Jesus has, has covered a ton of topics, and, and some of the questions that we actually ask, he's, he's answered. So questions we've asked like, what am I supposed to do with all this anger that I have in my heart? How am I supposed to handle things when my coworker wrongs me? Or to, to hit a bit closer to home, what am I supposed to do when, when my spouse is the one who wrongs me? What am I supposed to do with this anxiety that I continually have and feel on a regular basis? What am I supposed to do with these scriptures I don't particularly like that talk about sexuality and money and how to treat people who've treated me poorly? Jesus just got through covering all these things and many more things about what it looks like to be a believer, what it looks like to live a life of godliness. And so as we come to today's text directly following these teachings, um, we're confronted with a really simple parable to close things out. It's a simple parable that, that many of us have read a hundred times. You've probably read it so many times, some of us, that you just glossed over it whenever it was read a moment ago. But as I've read and reread it over the last couple of weeks, um, I've actually, it's been a, a source of intense, like, deep struggle for me. It's not, it's not been something that, that has not affected me. It's been something that's affected me really profoundly as I've tried to make sense of it and what it looks like for my life to actually make this a reality for me and why it's not a lot of the time. And so to give you a quick uh, roadmap of where we're going this morning, there's, there's three things that I want to spend uh, some time looking at in this text. Uh, there's some that are more in-depth than others. The, the first is just, a, a kinda, it kind of goes under the radar, but something that, that Jesus is um, implying in this text is the reality that it's not a matter of whether storms will come, but it's a matter of when storms will come in our lives. And then he gives us two, two commands, really, in the text. One is to become hearers of the word. He talks about the importance of putting the word inside of us, but he also doesn't stop there because the actual thrust and, and crux of this text is the fact that we're not actually supposed to stop at just being people that gained a bunch of intellectual knowledge, but it's actually supposed to be something that spurs us on to change. To, to our actions actually looking differently after we've come upon the text. And so, so if you've got a Bible this morning, I'd love for you to open it up. Um, this is going to be on the screen as we read in a moment. And, and we're going to be here anchored in Matthew chapter 7 for the majority of the day. And then we'll, we'll sprinkle in some text throughout the Bible that will be on the screen. But just for our reference, I want to I read this one more time for us before we jump in. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell and great was the fall of it. So the first thing we want to just look at for a moment is, is this idea of storms uh, in, in the life of the believer and the non-believer in the room. I find it helpful to me that, that Jesus seems to allude to the fact that this is not something that we should be surprised by, but this is something that we're, we, we are meant to expect as we go through life. Um, I've heard it said differently a few different times, but you're either in a storm, you just walked out of a storm, or you're about to walk into a storm. One of those three things at all times. 
And the Bible is actually full of passages that would attest to that. First Peter chapter four says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Ephesians 6, at the beginning of this, this text about the armor of God, says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. You don't put on armor unless you're expecting to get hit. And then James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Yeah, we're always so surprised when things actually happen to us uh, that we weren't expecting, right? When, when something, my, still, my knee-jerk reaction when something happens to me that I wish wouldn't happen is, like, oh my gosh, like, how, I'm, I'm, un, I'm unexpected. It's unexpected to me that, that something that's difficult would actually happen to me. But the truth is, what Jesus is sharing here is both helpful and comforting to us in unique ways. It's helpful, A, because, yeah, it's just nice to know that what we're meant to expect in life is not all perfection, but there's going to be things that we're going to come upon. There's going to be struggle. There's going to be things we didn't expect. There's going to be real storms that we're going to have to face in our lives. But a well-trained boxer is ready to absorb a blow or even dodge it altogether instead of receiving a knockout blow because he's trained for it. He knows it's coming. He's going into the ring ready and willing to receive it, to dodge it, to do what it takes to, to make it through. You know, but there's an entire, interestingly enough, there's an entire movement, though, in culture that's meant to not prepare us for storms, but to help us to hide from them altogether, to help us to ignore them. Call it self-help, help, if you will, call it self-care, but it leads to us doing things like lying in bed for hours on end or on the couch and endlessly watching movies or TV shows or scrolling and scrolling and scrolling on our phones or drinking and eating to excess so that we can maybe just forget for a moment what exactly is going on in our life. We can even use things like exercise, like that are actually good for us. I was exercising in my neighborhood recently and got stopped by a neighbor who um, made the comment about how, you know, I, I can't wait to, for my back to, to get better so that I can get back out there and, quote, unquote, get away from it all. And the reality is that Jesus isn't giving us an, an out here. He's not giving us a way to get away from everything. He's actually equipping us and preparing us to be ready for the storms that actually do come, not to hide from them and expect them not to happen. We're not meant to be like the toddler who gets scared and so they pull their blanket up over their head, even though whatever they're scared of is still just on the other side of the blanket. We're meant to be prepared and, and, and to walk in the ways that God's given us to walk in. But also, and secondly, and this is even more so for me, comforting that we know that this is the case is the fact that Jesus himself is offering us in this passage hope in the midst of suffering and trials that we inevitably face. We aren't just in a position to where we know it's coming and now we despair. But we know it's coming and because of Jesus, we can actually have hope in the midst of struggle. And some of the trials that we're all going to face are going to be because of our own sin. Some of them are going to be because of the sin of other people. Some of them are just going to be uh, uh, because of the fall in general happening. But the reality is that, that because of what the finished work of Jesus, if we are in Christ... He's going to use all of those things, even if it's hard to hear in the moment, all of those things 
for our good. This is Romans chapter 8, verse 1. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That means the things that I'm going through aren't punishments. It means they're not punishments. And then it goes on to, to Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 29, and it says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. We, a lot of times we stop here at verse 28. Verse 29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, what? To be conformed into the image of his Son. And so God is graciously, in the midst of a world full of chaos and struggle and pain, using the chaos and the struggle and the pain, even though it is a struggle and it is painful in the moment, to affect real change in us, to make us look more like Jesus in the end. Not to remove us, not for us to escape, but to offer something better than an escape, but, but hope in the midst of darkness, in the midst of struggle. So uniquely as Christians, where the rest of the world doesn't have this, we have hope in the midst of struggles in the midst of storms that we're inevitably going to face in life. And the reason we have this hope is that hopefully we've built our life or our foundation, if you will, on Christ Jesus and not on the sinking sand. The next thing that Jesus gets to is the necessity of hearing the word. Verse 24 says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man. Jesus makes it clear that two things are involved in the building of this firm foundation in this parable. And the first is the hearing of the word of God. You know, graciously back in this moment, these people had it really well. Like, not only did they have the law and the prophets or, or the Old Testament, if you will, at their disposal, but the actual incarnate son of God, Jesus, was standing in front of them and he was opening his mouth and he was teaching them. I've often been envious of this moment. As I've like said, there's a few places I could go back in time to. I'd like to be sitting on this mountainside during the Sermon on the Mount. What a gift it must have been to them. But think about the, the real gift that we have. In 2024, we have this book in print for us to pour over and over and over again, to mine it, to mine its depths for the truth that God's given us. You've got it on your phone, so no matter where you go, if you forget your Bible, you've got it on your phone. And you can even do the crazy thing of popping in headphones and going on a walk, and someone will read the Bible to you. It's a gift that we have. It's a gift that we have that we sometimes, well, a lot of times, neglect. And Jesus would encourage us today not to neglect the gift that we have of his word. He says in John 10 that his sheep hear his voice. His sheep hear his voice. And so it's of utmost importance that, that we would take the words of his and, and that we would actually put them inside of us, that we would devour them, that we would metabolize them, if you will. But bear with me for a second. Like this, this is more than owning a Bible and putting it on your, your, your like nightstand as a fancy coaster to keep the, making a noise when you put your water down in the middle of the night. And it's actually more than coming in this room on a regular basis on a Sunday and just being on your phone the whole time. This is an active listening to the word of God, actively seeking out the words of God because he knows that what he's given us in here is actually the keys to living a life of righteousness and a life, the good life, if you will, in the midst of storms. Early on in this book, we hear Jesus saying that, that man shall not live by bread alone, but, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so it's a good time to ask ourselves at the beginning of a new year, what exactly, what exactly is your plan to put God's word inside of you this year? 
And this is not a plug for a specific Bible reading plan. Bible reading plans are great. Since the, since the Reformation, it's been, it's been a, a normal thing that you would read through the entire Bible um, in a year. And if you can do that and you can stick to it for an entire year, then kudos to you. Good job. And aspirationally, I would love for everybody in this room to read their Bible every single day. Um, but what would it look like if you're not reading at all for you to maybe go from zero days to three days a week? Or two days a week? Or from three days to five days a week? Because the point to a plan is less the fact that you've covered every verse in the Bible in a calendar year and more the fact that you have a steady diet of it that will nourish your soul in the midst of everything that's going to come your way in the next 12 months. In the same way that we need to take care of our bodies and eat the right food where there's consequences. And increasingly so as we encounter trials We'll at least know what the Bible says, and we'll at least have a knowledge of who God is. You know, God doesn't love me more because I read my Bible, but I I do love him a lot more because I read my Bible. So the invitation first today is to become people, people of the book, people of the word, And then the third thing I want us to see is in our text is what Jesus chooses to use to make the distinction between the good foundation and the bad foundation in this parable is not just that we've made a practice of ingesting his word, but we've made a practice out of doing what it says. Made a practice out of doing what it says. To recap, there's, there's, two, there's two people. They've, they've, it's, this is a, meant to be like two people's religious lives that we're looking at here. One of them has actually built their life on hearing and doing the word of God. And one of them has built their life on hearing the word of God, but not on doing the word of God. And Jesus doesn't use a, a small example here of like a tiny thing happening. This is catastrophic that the, the house would completely crumble and fall. Imagine the security you feel in your home on a regular basis and if it was just gone. Jesus is trying to give us a real serious example here of what you would actually lose by not having your, your home built on or your life built on the right foundation. And both of these lives represented in the parable uh, heard the word, but what we can for illustra- illustration's sake here just say that these are two identical houses. They look the same on the outside. They look the same on the outside. They're, they're two-story. I'm going to describe my own home. They're two-story. They've got a two-car garage. They've got a nice porch where you can sit outside when it's raining. You drive down the street in my neighborhood and see multiple of these houses that look almost exactly the same. But it's not until you step inside of one that you actually know what's different about it. And the reality is that there's, this goes for us too, like there's, there's these same two people are also a part of this church. They come in here on Sundays and they sing the same songs. They've got the same ESV study Bible. The leather one. <laughs> Rightfully so. They go to, the, they go to the, same, the same community group. And what Jesus is saying is that like on the outside, you look at these two people and their two lives, and everything looks the same up until the moment that tragedy strikes, up until the moment that life gets a little bit difficult and hard. Because realistically, you may be able to for a while, To, to, to kind of do the right thing and to, and to read the word of God. 
But he's giving us a real clear picture here of like the testing that comes when actual difficult things happen is what actually reveals what your foundation is um, and where your life is built on. They're virtually unrecognizable until storms come. Because the sign of someone who's genuinely been changed by the gospel will be that they not only hear the words of God, but they do them as well and, and hear me imperfectly. It's, I'm, not, I'm not advocating in this moment that the only way that you can know if you're a Christian or walking with Jesus is if you have not sinned at all. Because that is not anyone in this room. It's not me. It's not any of the pastors of this church. I've responded poorly in the last couple days to things that, that, that surprised me. But it's a striving to be doers of the word, to pick yourself up and keep going. I, I knew a guy in college, and, and it's probably a grace that I've forgotten his name at this moment um, because uh, I can share the story, and it can even go on Spotify, and I won't out him. Um, but uh, he carried his Bible around everywhere he went. It was always tucked like this in his arms. And he also had an encyclopedic knowledge of it. Like he, he, know, he, know, he knew, and he probably still knows, like maybe quite a bit more about where you can find things in the Word than, than I do. Um, but then he would go treat women like trash, and then he would cut people down with his intellect and make them feel small. And the moment that like, actual trials and storms came in his life, his life crumbled and fell, as if Jesus knew what he was talking about. So Jesus is saying that my word is, is, hearing my word is not enough. You have to resolve to do exactly what it says or attempt to do what it says. And, and this is where my own wrestling has been the most intense lately, as I alluded to earlier. Because the question I keep asking myself over and over again, as I've studied this text over the last couple of weeks, I always get to the same question. Okay, I understand. Here's endures. Here's endures. So why, why am I not doing, <laughs> why am I not always doing everything that God is, is, is laying out here in front of me? Because I want to, but I still struggle not to. And it's brought me to a few texts that are actually kind of scary in the word, but I think we should hear this morning. In Luke chapter 6, where, where Luke is sharing this same parable in another spot, he says this. And let this sink in for a minute. This is Jesus speaking. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Just full stop for a moment. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? And it even, in my mind, a little bit, more frightening place, just right before this in the book of Matthew, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Jesus is clearly making a distinction for us between those that just like to take in information and think that that's enough and those that actually have action attached to the information that they receive. And so the question that I've been asking myself, questions, and the, and the question I want to kind of pose to us today as we begin to wrap up, is what are the parts of your life where what you know to be true isn't bearing weight on your life and actually manifesting in the works of your hands and the words of your mouth? To put it a little more simply, like just what are the areas of your life where you have put up walls? Or you have outright just chosen to to remove that part of the Bible from, from your vocabulary. 
We're probably not actively pulling out our Bibles and taking a razor blade and cutting portions out like people have in history, but we do to an extent without going as far as physically removing them from our Bibles. Just a few examples. Jesus says in Matthew 7, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. If that proves to be true, then then why do we so regularly look down on people that are different than us? (laughs) Simple things like um, the class you're in, if you will, financially, or the political party you're a part of. We have a tendency to, to totally trash people that are meant to be our brothers and sisters. Also in Matthew 7, Jesus says, Why do you seek the, see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, he says. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. But why is it that every single time that we get in an argument with our spouse, the only thing that we can see is what they've done? And that's what we decide to focus on, the entirety of our conversation or argument, if you will. Knowing the depths of our hypocrisy, we still choose to make it about other people's deficiencies. Jesus said, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Yet pornography runs rampant in the church even, not just outside of it. Jesus is pleading for, with us to, to not just be hearers but doers of the word. And he says really clearly, a tree is just going to be recognized by its fruit. A tree is going to be recognized by its fruit. And, and I'm honestly, I'm encouraged in my own struggling to know that the Apostle Paul so publicly struggled with this himself Uh, famously, like in in Romans 7, he talks about how he always does the things he doesn't want to do, and he does the things that he doesn't want to do. And he's even bewildered by this reality of like the wrestling between our flesh and our spirit. And so I think the invitation from me to us today is to start doing a little bit of that like wrestling that Paul was doing in the book of Romans and start to actually ask hard questions of ourselves. I, I think we let ourselves off the hook quite often. It's like, it's really easy for a sermon to finish in just a couple minutes for us to take communion, sing a song, and be out the door. And then it's like, don't have to think about that anymore. But the reality is that there's an invitation for us today to take this really simple but powerful parable and ask ourselves, what are these, why are there areas of my life in particular, if you're a Christian in the room, why are there areas of my life in particular, that I have just kind of put up a wall and I'm not letting God in there. I'll be all right. I'll be all right without that thing right there until that thing becomes the, the source of your demise at some point in time. And the last thing I want to point out about this being hearers and doers of the word is um, it has a profound impact on the way that we live as believers, if you're a Christian in the room, in the world. This has a profound impact on how you're a missionary in your neighborhood, in your job, in your school. He's giving us a real clear picture of the fact that there are people whose lives will fall apart and there are people whose lives will be built on a firm foundation. I've had this picture in my head for a couple days and I'd like for you to like get it with me for a second. Imagine your neighborhood, imagine your neighborhood, imagine your home where you live. 
and an actual storm comes through, a real-life storm. And it wipes out every house on the block other than your own. Rubble. These people that you care about, these people that, that you long to see healthy and whole, start to emerge from said rubble, start to emerge. They don't have a house anymore. They don't have shelter. Where do you think in that moment, logically, they're going to go when they have lost their shelter and you still have one? Because the reality is, being hearers and doers of the word of God is one of the greatest ways that we can be missionaries in the world around us as our lives don't just sound different, they look different. So that when my neighbor's life starts to fall apart, they actually have someone to go to who hasn't, if you will. And so I, in closing, I think my like, simple invitation for us today is if you're in the room and you would call yourself a Christian, I, I would like to just invite you to do some of this wrestling with me. Um, let's not all act like our lives are perfect for a moment and let's, let's identify some things internally, some places where we would just say like, man, this is too important to me. My job is too important to me for me to actually act out this thing faithfully that God's called me to do. My reputation is just too important to me. The amount of money I have in my bank account is just too important to me for me to become generous like God's called me to be generous. My pride is just too important to me for me to actually humble myself and come to my wife and apologize for the way that I've treated her. Everybody's got something that they've built a wall around and I wanna invite us today to, to let God and his word do the good work of breaking those things down and then recommitting, if you will, in this new year to becoming people who are of the word, people of the book, and people who are willing to, in the midst of difficulty, to continue to at least try to do the things that God has called us to do. And then if you're here today and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, man, Jesus is giving us challenging words about this life, and the good news is that Jesus is the one who made himself the foundation on our behalf so that we wouldn't have to go do that work. He's done it for us. Because of his life, because of his death, because of his resurrection, we actually have hope in the midst of storms. We actually have hope in the midst of difficulties. And so I'd like for, to invite you too, if you would, just, I just would like to humbly invite you to do the same work everyone else is doing in the room. And maybe ask yourself, like, how, how is this working out for me? How is this working out for me? And the reality is that, that God is not a God who puts his thumb on you and holds you down and says, oh, you should have come to me earlier. <laughs> it's the complete opposite. He's, he's open-handed and willing to receive you today as well. Let's pray together. God, I ask that, that you would do two things in us. I ask that you would um, give us a holy hunger in desire for your word. I ask God that you would, in the midst of that, you would identify all the areas of in our, in our life that maybe we have tried to build other foundations. Would you be gracious to remind us of how those things crumble or have crumbled or are crumbling? Not, not that we would be people that live in shame, but we would be people that, just in humility, throw ourselves on you and say, God, I, I, want, I want to know what you want to give me and I want to do what you say. Not so that I can be this holy person, but so that um, 
I can continue to grow in my love for you. And I just want to invite us to, God, God would, you, would you do real work in our hearts? Would you, would you help us to see the areas of our lives that um, need to come to bear, need to come into the light? And if there's any strongholds that we've built that are meant to, to keep you out, I ask God that by the power of your spirit today that you would come and you would destroy those walls and break the chains. In Jesus' name, amen.